the the essence of the psalm we read on Tuesday is confession. Yes. So can you talk to us a little bit about the process of how confession starts healing the soul? Yeah, that's a great question. How, so if you want to avoid all that stuff and live life to the fullest and you say, okay, I'm in, I want to resolve guilt or my relationship with guilt, this reflex that I have, how do I do it? Right. Well, it begins with confession. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast designed to help you learn how to study the Bible for yourself by showing you how to look into the historical, philosophical, and cultural background in which it was written. The reason why the Salty Pastor Podcast is so different is because we are trying to get you to think for yourself. Remember, what you believe is the most important thing about you. Therefore, you should know what you believe and why you believe it. We're here for you, and we want to. We hope that this podcast helps you grow in your own faith. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the salty pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, hello, everyone. So good to be with you today. I'm really excited about uh, this current series that we are in. We're doing a deep, deep, deep dive yes, we are. on guilt, and we've been asking this simple question of what is your relationship with guilt, particularly unresolved guilt, and I think that's a big deal because I do feel like it's one of the toxins of the soul. And I believe that the whole purpose of being redeemed by Christ is that these toxins of the soul are not only healed, but then we develop defenses against them. And that's mm. how we become strong. So I'm really excited about this series and how we're discovering and analyzing and thinking about our relationship with guilt. Absolutely. And on Tuesday, we studied Psalms 32. It was a really great song about how God heals the soul. You can't really understand the power of Psalms 32 without understanding the story of David and Bathsheba, which we went into uh, over in 2 Samuel. And that story is about how King David committed adultery with Bathsheba while her husband was in the field fighting a war for King David, which mm -hmm. is where he should have been. But she became pregnant, and so King David ended up having her husband murdered, basically, to cover his own tracks. Yeah. Um, God saw this as a great evil and sent Nathan the prophet to call out David for what he did. And Nathan told the story that enraged King David one sign of a guilty conscience. Very is guilty fired conscience. up over something that probably would not normally even make a blip on your radar. We then looked at Psalm 32, which records King David's thoughts on what happened and what biblical principles um, we're, we're looking at trying to figure out what biblical principles we can find to apply to us here today out of those Psalms. So, um, take it away, pastor, where, where <laughs> well, I lost I, my yeah. train of thought for a second. I, no worries. No wor don't feel guilty about it. <laughs> <laughs> Resolving guilt is really important for your soul. I, I think that's the biblical principle. I mean, if nothing else, the whole tone of Psalms 32 is about restoration, mm. right? It, and so he's saying, look, it's really important. You know, I like the way he said up front, you know, how blessed is the man, right, who the Lord remembers his guilt no more. Mm. And so it's been washed away. It's been dealt with. And so resolving guilt is really important for your soul. And I, I was thinking, because we talked about this a little bit on Tuesday, I want to dig into it a little bit more, and that is, this notion of vitality, you know, my vitality has failed me. And it kind of got me thinking about how unresolved guilt steals your vitality for life. I was thinking about like soldiers that come back from war and they suffer with PTSD. And it's really interesting is that when you have PTSD, severe PTSD, it can completely takes away your vitality for life. Life just loses 
all uh, motivation. You, you're not motivated to really do anything. I think something else is that when you lose vitality of life, you, you lose your focus. It's like you can't answer the big questions, why am I here? But also you can't even focus on what you're doing right in front of you. I, uh, ambition goes out the window. There's no ambition to improve yourself or to grow or to move forward. When, when your vitality fails you, you're constantly bored. You live a lackadaisical lifestyle. You live unfocused. I feel like I'm describing the millennial that lives <laughs> in the basement of their parents. Yes, absolutely. Right? And I think that that's true because what has happened is those young people have never, they know there's a standard and they were never pushed or expected to live up to it. Right. So they just gave up and quit trying, which is very insightful about how our society tries to resolve guilt and it doesn't work. Life ultimately, though, loses its meaning when you have unresolved guilt. It, it, man, it, it steals your vitality across the board. If you're a guy and you want to achieve your goals in life, if you want to live life and say, man, life was a wild ride, then resolve your relationship with guilt. If you don't, it's like trying to run with a pulled muscle or play ball with a torn ACL. You just can't do it. The very spiritual muscle you need for your life, your soul, is damaged. And you have to fix it. Mm. Otherwise, you don't live life at all. Right. You know, I mean, you want to get back and look back on your life and say, I'm not, I know I'm not perfect, but man, I lived, I did a lot of really great things and, and a lot of great things happened to me. And it's, it's, it wasn't a wild ride. Don't miss out on life. And you will, if you don't resolve your relationship with guilt, if you're a female, if you're a woman and you want to live a full and happy life, do you want to feel secure? In whatever situation. Do you want to be at peace in every situation? Do you want to feel protected in every situation? Do you want good relationships? Uh, if you're married, do you want a good relationship with your husband? Do you want a good relationship if you have children with your kids, uh, with your family, with friends? Do you, do you want these things to be good and healthy? Uh, avoid toxicity. Well, you have to resolve your relationship with guilt because what's interesting is I have seen so many men and women over times ruin long-term friendships over little things. And what happens is a standard pattern of friendships that I see happening. And that is two people, they become friends, uh, uh kind of slowly, they start spending more time together. And then something kind of, I call it the tipping point where they just realize, wow, we're, we're meant to be really good friends. They start spending time. Maybe their kids are the same age or they're working the same place or they're at the same church or, or whatever may be the case. They just, they really enjoy each other's company right? And so they start spending more and more time with each other. But the difficulty is what I find so fascinating is over time, a, a, the, they will be friends for 10 years, 15 years, and then something will happen and they're not friends anymore. Mm. And I think what's so interesting about it is the general reason why this is the case is because people have not resolved their relationship with guilt. In other words, one of the friends makes a mistake, right? And so then the person, they feel guilty about it. 
Right. And so they have this, this emotional reflex to it. They don't know how to deal with that. They don't know how to resolve it. So they associate that with a friendship or whatever. They don't want to say they're sorry. They want, it becomes a power play or whatever of hurt feelings. And then they just walk away and they gossip about each other behind their backs. And I just find that really interesting. So if you want to have a full life, if you want to have relationships that survive, if men, if you want to achieve your goals and if you want to live a full life, then the most important thing that we can do is understand that unresolved guilt steals our vitality of life and it can take away and steal from us the good things that we already have. Yeah. I mean, I think of even just like, uh, different situations where that I've seen that kind of play out where it's like, maybe it's a guilt of a parent who wasn't around enough when they mm-hmm. were younger. And now all they want to do is insert themselves into your life all the time. Yeah. And they just, they're over functioning. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're overcompensating basically for the time that they missed out when they were, when the kids were younger and now they're like, well, you never want to spend time with me and I want to come and see you. And it's like, you're smothering me now because you're compensating for the guilt of not having been around enough when you were, yeah, when I was younger, right. Or whatever that might be, or it might be a friendship where it's like, I hurt you in the past or you hurt me in the past. And I feel so bad about it that I'm just going to basically blow this situation up because I don't know how to deal with it. Right. And so it's like, there's different ways that those relationships can be played out in in ways that seem obvious if you take a way step, uh, a couple steps back, but when you're in the moment or when you're living in it, it's, they don't seem related, right? Like, Correct. I, think, I think that's the biggest, we don't uh, connect deception. the dots. Yeah. The deception you're so close. You can't see that there is a line connecting them. You just see the dot. They call them a blind spot for a reason. Yes, they do. <laughs> so the the essence of the psalm we read on Tuesday is confession. Yes. So can you talk to us a little bit about the process of how confession starts healing the soul? Yeah, that's a great question. How, so if you want to avoid all that stuff and live life to the fullest and you say, okay, I'm in, I want to resolve guilt or my relationship with guilt, this reflex that I have, how do I do it? Right. Well, it begins with confession. Now, only Jesus can heal unresolved guilt. I, I believe this to be the case. As we have been studying on Sunday's, you know, messages, the source of our guilt has been dealt with by Jesus when he nailed it to the cross. This is the mm-hmm. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 passage. Therefore, what confession does is it is the key that unlocks the door to your soul so the work of Jesus that he completed on the cross can now be experienced personally in your own life. Right. And so Jesus does the work. He did it on the cross, but confession is how I align myself, you know, to, to, in order to receive it. And so it reminds me, I don't know, this is kind of silly, but, uh, you know, I've always been a fan of Star Trek. So I've seen all the Star Trek movies. And then the last couple that, I enjoyed, you know, with Chris Pine and yeah. I don't know the, the guy, J.J. Abrams, the J.J. Abrams one. And who does Spock? Who plays Spock in that one? What's it? What's that actor's name? Uh, I can't think of his name. He was from but, a TV show that I used to love and I should know his name, but I don't remember. Okay, it, well, so. we'll think of it. But what happened is in, in the second one, you know, they're, 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 they're fighting. And of course the enterprise is always damaged and it's, you know, it's hurtling towards <laughs> earth and it's going to crash. And, 
Kirk uh, goes into the radioactive chamber, right? Because warp drive is offline and they got to get out yeah and And so he goes in there and he climbs up into it and then what it is is it's really interesting is it's these two little diode things that are out of alignment so Mm. he's hanging on there kicking it to get it back in alignment Mm -hmm. and as soon as it gets in alignment what happens everything fires up (laughs) everything fires up and the ship has power and then it stops and you know and everything is that the ship was powerless Mm. to function until the warp drive got aligned properly. This is a perfect example is that Christ has done the work. The power is there, but if you are not aligned with what Christ wants to do in your life, if you don't open the door, then it, you're just going to continue to plummet towards, you know, the abyss, oblivion. <laughs> oblivion until your life falls apart. And that's why it's so important to figure out, oh, I need to align. How do you align? Well, you don't climb into a radioactive chamber and kick the thing. That (laughs) doesn't work. What are you calling us to do, Pastor? (laughs) But what you do have to do is you have to enter the radioactive place of your soul where guilt exists, and Mm. most people fear to go. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to consider it. You know, nobody wants to sit there and dwell on their sense of I'm a failure, right? I made a mistake. Nobody wants to do that. We spend more of our time trying to deny and rationalize and justify why we did what we did. And yet it's when we stop that in just a very short moment and just confess like David confessed, you know, he says, I confessed it to the Lord. And that's where the healing starts. And what you realize is that all what Satan has been doing is he's he's chaining you with all of these negative emotions of I don't want to admit I'm wrong. I, I don't want to feel ashamed. I don't want to. And as soon as you confess, guess what happens? The power of God comes in and washes all of those perceived things subconsciously in your mind away. So you don't experience any of that stuff, the shame. He says, look, my heart has been set free. In another place where he talks about the same situation is in Psalms chapter 51. And he says, I was in the miry pit. I was in, you know, stuck in this muddy clay. I couldn't move. And he said, but you lifted me up and you set my feet upon a rock and you put a new song in my mouth, a song of joy. I will sing praises of thanksgiving to God. And what a great statement of how confession unlocks the work that Jesus has already done in your soul so that you can finally receive it. Yeah, I think the the idea of really just understanding that the work's already there, the power's already there, Mm -hmm. all of the hard stuff to get to the life abundance has already been happening. Confession is basically the key to just unlock it so that you can actually get to it. Right. Yeah. Because you're, you're, what you're doing is you're aligning yourself to say, okay, I want it to come into me. Right. If you're out of alignment, if you're saying, well, I didn't do that, or it's not my fault, or I'm, I'm just a victim, or I'd rather gossip about those people. I'm seeking a, a distraction with entertainment. Oh, I'm going to get into this addiction or whatever it is. You're not aligned. Right. It's not until you confess that then, wow, boom, that opens the door to the healing power of Christ. Yeah. So why do you think people struggle with confession if it does unlock oh, and, and, 
and allow for all of this healing to happen, why are they so adverse to the idea of confession? <laughs> well, I think it's the world in which we live. You know, it's the world in which we live. One of my goals as a Salty Pastor uh, podcast is to connect the dots for people. And when you see how, like, what we're dealing with in today's society is a direct result of ideologies that were championed in our society 40 years ago, mm. uh, everything starts then to make sense to people. Now, on a personal level, when you see what you are experiencing in your life today as a result of how you are dealing with your past guilt, things make more sense. And I think there's five things that our culture does, a society in, uh, in which you live that tries to undermine and steal your path to freedom and convinces you that confession is not the way. And the, these are big ideas, but I do think they have a powerful impact on your life. And they, they deceive us or distract us from engaging in confession mm. so that we experience the joy of the Lord. And the first thing it does, it starts very young and it happens predominantly in our educational system. And I mean this public, I mean private as well. You see it everywhere and that is, it teaches you a certain way of thinking, okay? Our culture has become a postmodern deconstructionist society. Nobody uh, disagrees with this point, <laughs> okay? So stop sending me emails, people. People say, no, we're not. Yes, we are. Everybody, even the farthest people apart all agree on it, that we become that. Basically, it means people are thought to think in a certain way about their lives, and what's happening to them. And at its core, this mental training that has been drilled into young people, and now, I mean, it's anybody who's 50 years or younger, you've had this way of thinking drilled into. Now, that doesn't mean you think that way, right? right? But your penchant to think that way in certain situations- Has been formed. Yeah, has been formed. And some people think this way in every area of your life. And I would guarantee you those are not happy people. They are isolated, alone, and broken people. But we have to see where this way of thinking has been drilled into me and affects me. I, I've had to do it, and you should too. And it's the process of, it's called deconstructionism. And what it is, is it's a mental training that says, look, I just need to break something down into its basic parts, right? Mm -hmm. And guess what? Well, this works well in science. When you're establishing facts, you're working with pre-existing facts that need to be discovered, right? Right. You're not dealing with opinions and you're not dealing with perceptions because how does this process of deconstruction, this mental training work when it comes to belief, especially the belief of what it means to be a human being? Well, now you are adrift on a sea of confusion because if you don't accept right? That there is an objective revelation of what it means to be a human being. Then you're left to, there is no revelation. There is no objective truth of what it means to be a human being. Therefore I can make up what it, anything I want, what it means to be a human being. You see, now you're adrift on this sea yeah, of you're not, chaos. You're not tethered to anything. You're not tethered to anything. Can anything. Can be anything. So when you start doing this at first, if you think this way, it seems intellectual or enlightened. Well, I question everything. You know, I question everything. You know, well, I question the church and I question institutions and I question these documents of antiquity and I question the Bible and I question this. I question everything. <laughs> you know, oh, okay. Uh, you question everything. But when you start doing it, it seems intellectual. 
But if you believe in scientific materialism, which is atheism, right? Right. If you believe in scientific materialism and if you are on this sea untethered to anything because human beings have no purpose, right? They ha- there is no objective truth of what it means to be a human being. What happens, you end up very quickly with the idea that a man, a biological man, truly believes he is a woman and everybody else has to agree with them. Right. Even though he, this is biologically impossible. It's impossible to think like a woman. It is impossible to feel like a woman. It is impossible to be a woman because biologically you were born a man. And though there's never been anything in between, right? Right. It's one or the other. So if uh, this is really interesting to me, how our society has got to this point, our deconstructionism has brought us to this present insanity. Uh, for instance, you can believe things that are so illogical and incongruent. For instance, the following equation. If gender and sex are two separate things, because this is what this ideology teaches, is that sex is biology, male and female. Gender, you know, is woman and man, and that's socially constructed. Okay? So, if gender and sex are two separate things and gender is a social construct, then why do you have to change your sex in order to fit your perceived gender? Mm. That makes zero sense. That is, that is a strong statement, but I think, I think it's one that nobody, when you start breaking it down, it absolutely doesn't make sense. It's like, yeah, you, you break down that thought process of, okay, well, if these don't matter, then why, why do you have to make a physical change in change, order for it to, which you matter? can't do anyway. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think, I think that idea of, and this is the thing that we're, we, we don't do often enough. And one of the things that we love about the salty pastor podcast is that it's forcing you to think past just the initial statement, right? Right. Initial statement is like, Oh, okay, fine. I could see how you believe that. But then when you start running it out to the logical conclusion and start putting the pieces together, you're like, wait, this puzzle, I have Winnie the Pooh puzzle pieces and Disney puzzle pieces, and none of this is fitting together. And I don't know what's going on anymore. I got a, I got a, a Winnie the Pooh looking Ariel. And yeah, I a lot of different things together and none of them are working. Well, and that, of course, this, this, the second thing that our society does, it robs you from confession. And, and well, let me just connect the dot. And that is, is that is when you, when you have no tether and you're adrift on the sea and you can believe anything you want, and regardless of how logical it is, then there's nothing to confess right. because everything is true, which of course that means nothing is true. Mm-hmm. But the reason we think that way, and this is the second thing that's happened in our society that steals our capacity to confess and find freedom and healing from unresolved guilt is that postmodern ideology denies any absolute truth. Okay. It's very linked to what we just talked about. And that is deconstruction and comes out of postmodernism. Now, um, for instance, people are like, well, what does that really mean? Well, for instance, a philosophy professor at the university of Michigan has uh, kind of an introduction to philosophy course. He has probably a thousand freshman students in his class, you know, big, massive thing. And so he surveyed them all. And he said, how many of you believe that the Holocaust were Hitler exterminated the elderly, the disabled 
gypsies, Romanians, and Jewish people, he said, was wrong. And what he found, and he said, then explain your answer. He found that over 30% of his freshman class said, well, I wouldn't do what he did, but I can't say what he did was morally wrong. Hmm. Now, the only reason that these students think this way is because they were taught to think that way. Right. You know, and this is the perfect way, in my opinion, to increase unresolved guilt is tell people people that their guilt is an illusion because there's no objective standard. Mm. When, when somebody is sitting there and they can't say that, yeah, Hitler was evil for doing that, that's morally wrong always. If you can't say that, then you will never be able to confess anything. Right. Because if you don't believe anybody else does anything wrong, you can't believe that you've ever done anything wrong. Yes. I think just the idea of you can't... The idea that you go, yeah, that's totally fine, right? Yeah. Like, I wouldn't have done that, but it's a fine thing to have chosen. I think inherently, again, sounds insane, but... Yeah. The world has convinced these people that that's an okay way to think, which has further unmoored them and they're further out there in the waves where it's like, well, we just do whatever. Right. And, yeah. and, and that idea that there's no standard then makes it, makes this dissonance internally of, well, but I feel bad. Like if you do choose to go out and murder an entire populace, you're probably going to feel something about it. Genocide right? tends to be always evil. Yeah. And so it's like, then you're like, well, but I don't understand why I'm feeling this way. Cause there's no moral right, right or wrong. And it's like, no, there is, yeah. you know this, but then you steal your capacity to confess and realign and heal, you right. know, because you don't believe that there is a right or a wrong. And so you now no longer have that available to you until you kind of get Back on back land. Country, yeah. yeah, back <laughs> on the land. Can, There's a professor out there who, uh, not a professor, but a, a, a kind of an intellectual, and he goes around to college campuses and he just talks about uh, Christianity and all this stuff and about one of the proofs for the existence of God. And this is a common one, and that is, it's called the moral argument, and that is, if there is no God, there is no objective morals or duties. Mm. Okay, so that's the first premise, and that is, always true and atheists will say yes that's true they accept the premise if there is no god there is no objective morals or duties right so the second premise is this and he says this argument is most attractive to college students even in today's world he goes there are objective morals and duties there's some things that are always wrong no matter what he says therefore there is a god right and so he said that's one of the most powerful things. You know, another thing I think that our society has done is not just try to convince us that there is no objective truth through postmodern thinking, but what it has done is the seedbed for that postmodernism has created is a greater acceptance for for Marxism, not not so much political Marxism as but cultural Marxism, and that is is that uh, all relationships are power based mm. and. People are seen by their uh, group identity, not as individuals. And what this does is this propagates victimhood thinking. And so what that does is that steals you from ever taking responsibility for your own life or being able to have a sense, I need to confess, 
I didn't live up to my own expectations. Right. Right. I think I see that most in relationships, especially like marriages and stuff where Mm -hmm. you're now convinced that everything's a power struggle. So if you disagree on something or whatever, it's now no longer you're in this thing together. It's uh, well, one of us is in charge and one of us isn't right. And it's, it changes the dynamic and that's probably a large portion of why we see so many failed marriages these days is because they've been convinced that it's a power struggle and not to mention all of the things at work and other relationships in your life. But that one I think is the most instantaneously recognizable of where that's made a huge impact. Right. Yeah. And second wave feminism, you know, we've, we've talked about this before. First wave feminism was birthed in the church and it was like, Hey, we need to do things to protect women. In other words, give them the right to vote, the right to have property, right to do all these types of things. So that, you know, these men who, you know, get into trouble, uh, can't impoverish these poor women and these children. And so that was a huge movement, you know, that passed really, really quite easily and made an amendment to the constitution. And what I find fascinating about it though, is second wave feminism is all about Marxist ideology. It's all about, well, every relationship between men and women is power. Mm. And so it's all about power now. And so every discussion is about who has the power. And it started on this by convincing women that they had no power. Right. Which is untrue. Right. You know, women have a lot of power. So I think another thing that has really stolen people's capacity to have uh, a spirit of confession and healing from unresolved guilt is a sexual revolution. Our society today is super confused about sexuality. You go on the one hand, it tells women, just talk to women, let alone, I mean, we talk about pornography. I talked about that on Sunday a little bit, but the sexual confusion, let's just talk about how it influences women and this idea of feminism is made it even worse. And that is on the one hand, feminism tells women that sexual expression, doing whatever you want sexually with your body is empowerment. You know, it's empowering to walk around without clothes, right? Right. It's empowering to sexualize yourself. Uh, It's empowering to use sex to get what you want. Okay. It's empowering to do that. Well, then they turn around and say, you're also sexually oppressed, right? It seems really confusing. The, the Me Too movement was the most confusing thing that I could ever understand because on the one hand, the feminists pushing the Me Too movement are telling women, use your sexuality to get whatever you want. They even sponsored these parades in towns called slut parades where they wanted women to walk naked or with little clothing. And, and so you can sexualize yourself and use sex to get what you want but you're also oppressed at the same time. So use it to empower yourself. But if any man responds to your sexualization of yourself, now you're a victim of it. So, so this isn't about men. This is about the messaging to women that no wonder they're so confused about it. Right. There has never been a more manipulative power play on display than this in trying to manipulate women, you know, And so it just seems like a mess. And that's our society is worshiping the sex act above everything else and the sexual expression. And that what has happened is in doing so, it creates all this guilt in the lives of people. But it then immediately says you're a victim of somebody else. So what does that do? It robs you of the opportunity to do what? confess and receive the healing of the Lord in your life. Yeah. I think 
I mean, I don't need to really add anything to that. I feel like you've, <laughs> you've covered quite a bit of that. Is there any other final thoughts you have before we head out for the day, Pastor? Well, I just think the other thing our society has done, this happened in our educational, is it's reintroduced pantheistic religion, and that is Earth Day, you know? Okay. We, we had, we're at the point now where we celebrate the Earth. Uh, Apple just put out, you know, uh, the computer company that's a trillion-dollar company. It just put out a new ad where they you know, worship mother earth, right? You know, it's just, it's just become so blatant. Uh, kids are indoctrinated from very early on that the earth is something to be worshiped on earth day and all this kind of stuff. They are introducing religion. There should, I thought that we had separation of church and state, uh, in these public things, but obviously we don't because you can worship the earth. You can't worship God. You can't pray to God in school, but you can worship the earth and this pantheistic religion has stolen from people the notion that their guilt needs to be resolved because pantheism is a notion that God is in things, you know, pan meaning like I always think of a frying pan, right? You know, it's like in the pan. (laughs) So there's God in the wind. There's a God of wind, God of sun, God of moon, God of water, God of the dirt, stuff like that. So it's kind of a cousin of, of paganism. But I think ultimately what we have to realize is all of these things together in our society have psychologized guilt. Okay. It is psychologized it saying, well, it's just, it's a mental disorder that you can treat by thinking like a victim or thinking, uh, you know, thinking like you're a part of a group that's been oppressed or worshiping the earth or expressing your sexuality however you want, that's going to take away your guilt, Mm -hmm. which never, ever has happened. That has never happened. It will never happen. There is no freedom from guilt. There's only one way to find freedom to guilt from guilt. And that is number one, to believe who God tells you you are, and then align yourself through confession and watch it be washed away. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for sharing with us um, all of these ways in which confession can unlock and what is stopping in the culture of uh, keeping us from the freedom of confession. Because I think that's just as important as knowing that you should confess and that it will set you free as knowing what the obstacles and what the world is trying to put in your way to keep you from doing that. So um, we appreciate you revealing those to us and giving us something to think about as we head into the weekend. And mm-hmm. we ask that you guys join us on Sunday. Um, if you're in the Boise area, come join us at Foothills or watch online. Otherwise, we'll see you next Tuesday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.